Hello, and thank you for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. The Teaching Math Teaching Podcast is sponsored by the Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators, a community of math teacher educators learning to teach math teachers better. I'm your co-host, Jennifer Wolf, and joining me are co-hosts Dusty Jones. Hi, Dusty. Hi, Jen. And Joel Amadon. Hey, Joel. Hey, Jen. Today, we are talking with Dr. Siddhi Desai, who's an assistant professor of mathematics education at Fairleigh Dickinson University in New Jersey. She graduated with her PhD in mathematics education from the University of Central Florida and is currently an executive board member of the New Jersey Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators. City is interested in learning about ways to integrate mathematical modeling to connect art, culture, and history as a way to engage students in rich mathematical experiences. We're talking with City today so that she may share some of her experiences in mathematics teacher education and ethno modeling. Welcome, City. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for inviting me for this. Oh, yeah. It's a pleasure to have you. So can you take a minute to introduce yourself beyond what we already shared? Like, what did we miss? Sure. Um, so I appreciate you starting with this question because I think it's so critical to learn about each other as people and learn about our life experiences that impact what we do as educators and um, as researchers. So to start off with the personal side, um, I was born in India and my family immigrated to the United States when I was about six years old. So I spent most of my life in the U.S., but my cultural and familiar traditions and language are still a huge part of huge part of what shaped my daily life and also greatly influence uh, my teaching and research. And then professionally, to add on to what you shared, Jen, um, I'm a former middle school and high school teacher and graduated with my PhD from the University of Central Florida this past summer. And I'm in my currently in my first year as a faculty member at Fairleigh Dickinson University in New Jersey. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. So how did you get started teaching math teachers and why? Uh, so growing up, whenever we would go to family trips um, in India, we would often visit temples or forts or other cultural and historical sites um, that had a lot of architectural and artistic beauty. Um, and there was so much mathematical wonder and joy and beauty there that I did not recognize at the time just because that's not what my experience with school mathematics or academic mathematics was. Um, and so for the longest time, I actually wanted to be an art teacher. And then junior year um, of high school, I had a really great math teacher. And that's kind of what changed my mind. Um, but when I did apply to college, I did apply as both an art major and then also math ed major. Um, so fast forward to when I started my undergraduate program in math education at the College of New Jersey. Uh, Farshid Safi, who is now at the University of Central Florida, was at TCNJ at the time. Um, and so he was my academic advisor my freshman and sophomore year. And early on in my program, along with him and Kathy Liebars, who's another one of the math educators there and a fellow math ed major, we started a student affiliate of NCTM. And so through that, I was able to attend my first NCTM annual conference my sophomore year and then later like state and regional conferences and really started seeing math education outside of just coursework. And so during and then also during my time at TCNJ I had opportunities to engage in undergraduate research with Farshid and others. So those experiences are really what sparked my interest in doing research and learning more about the connections between teaching and research. Um, and then once I got to UCF uh, for my master's and doctoral program, it was great to continue to have Farshid as a mentor and a collaborator and a friend 
um, as he knew about some of my interests in like art and culture and history. So from very early on, he's always encouraging me to find connections between all of those ideas and then also math education. And then also had opportunities to learn from and collaborate with mentors like Sarah Bush and Jane Andreessen and also fellow doctoral students. So I'm, I'm curious, um, what have you learned about yourself as a, a math teacher educator through this kind of journey from TCNJ to um, going to UCF and then, you know, into your first year of uh, being a math teacher educator at Fairleigh Dickinson University? So I think definitely just the power of collaboration. So I've had so many opportunities to work in collaborative teams, whether it's through like some of my undergraduate or like master's doctoral research programs. So while I was at UCF, my last few years, um, we had a grant project that we did with the national team. Um, so it was four universities, University of Central Florida, University of Maryland, Baltimore, um, University of Kentucky and Berea College. And so it was great to work on this national team and really learn from and with collaborators and like other math educators. And then also our students who we were working with, so our pre-service teachers and our graduate students that we were working with in the grant. Yeah, it's so powerful to learn through collaboration, right? And I think that's, um, so thank you for sharing that. <clears throat> I know that you're new into the, the math teacher educator world and this being your first semester at Fairleigh Dickinson University. Um, what's the best advice you received when you started teaching math teachers? So I guess this was more advice through action and mentoring as opposed to, or like seeing the practices that my mentors were engaging in instead of something I was directly told. Um, but so I like think back to some of my early opportunities I was given during my undergraduate master's programs to collaborate with people like Farshid and Sarah. Um, and it wasn't just like my name being listed as another author on that paper or that publication or presentation, but I was able to truly contribute to the development and the implementation and then also like the writing and presentations that came from those projects. And each of those were such valuable experiences that have carried through and carried with me even now um, as a, in my first year as a teacher educator. And then also extending to beyond my own experiences. Um, so I remember in a conversation with George Roy a couple years ago, he mentioned how whenever he works with K-12 students to implement a task, he then invites that teacher to collaborate on the resulting manuscript with him. So just thinking about like how each of those experiences and conversations um, and as a teacher educator, we're in the space of privilege. So how do we use that to authentically empower and uplift and then authentically value the voices and experiences of like the K-12 teachers and students or the undergraduate and graduate students? Um, and then also just continue to learn from and through such collaborations. I love that. Um, I love how you're bringing up this privilege that we do have in a university setting, right? That when we collaborate with in-service and practicing teachers, that we do have that privilege in that space to think about teaching very deeply, but it only um, gets better by being able to collaborate with those that are in the schools, right? And helping us think about how we can continue to improve um, our practices together. Um, what advice would you give to someone else starting out in this role? I think being in my first year as an MT, I'm still learning and growing and seeking advice from senior colleagues. So I don't know that I have enough experience to talk about, like, about this question yet. But I can definitely just um, share some of the things that I've learned through my doctoral program and 
like in my first semester as an MTE. So I think one thing that's really helped me as I was going through my program was finding ways to broaden my research perspectives. And so I think we sometimes get really siloed and focus on what we're working on, which is important. I think it's absolutely necessary, but also I found things like attending NCTM and AMT conferences um, or like something like listening to this podcast, which I did a lot during when I was studying for comps. Um, and it was just super valuable because it was like, there's so much phenomenal research that's going on in our field. So I think, I know I at least don't have time to delve deeply into everything, but attending these conferences or listening to this podcast was a great way to keep me informed about ongoing research as it adds, and it also adds that personal touch as you're able to hear the person talking about their work as opposed to just reading it on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I mean, because you just, you know, you pop the podcast in and you can go out for a walk. I guess I'm pretty fortunate that I live in a place like Tucson, Arizona, where you can get out many days of the year, right? But <laughs> popping it in, taking a walk, and then you really just get that perspective. You read the work and then you actually get to have the conversations with authors or listen to them. Um, so I think that that's pretty powerful. Yeah, I think that's, that's just, I'm really glad to hear that because that's some of the impetus that we had when we started this podcast was how can we introduce to a wider audience all of these awesome people that are doing uh great things um and city i've i've kind of been i'm not been stalking you but i've been aware of a lot of your work um <laughs> through twitter and and uh you know picking up different journal articles that you've uh you've been an author or a co-author on um and one of the things i like about what you do and i know we're going to talk about this later um, using the art that either you've created or your students have created or you've found it through some historical um, perspective, uh, historical search, and looking at the mathematics in it. But it's not just beautiful art. It is beautiful art, but it's not only beautiful art. I really like how you connect that to history and culture and introduce, if it's not my culture, introduce me to something else that that uh, is a valuable and beautiful piece of someone else's culture that also has mathematical uh, connections to it. So I, I think that's really neat stuff that you've been doing. Thank you. I do appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. And I had a question. It's kind of a, a little bit back, but um, just, you know, I'm, I think uh, a lot of people in this, uh, uh, in this conversation are fans of Farshid and just when you talked about some things, um, you know, that not just, you said, I believe you said something like not just putting you on a paper, you know, just artificial, like just putting a name on, but then, you know, inviting you to be a part of that process. And again, I can even imagine the words he was using, like, invite. but what are the actual moves that he did to like, say like, Hey, here, here's like the entry into doing this work. If it was like the first time working with like, what, what, what does those act, what, what do those actions actually look like, uh, for, from your perspective as like a, a new, uh, person entering into this field and him inviting you into that process? Right, so I think I can kind of go back to um, like TCNJ and some of the like the first project that I worked in at TCNJ. Um, and so I think it was following the NCTM annual conference, which was in Boston. And we had to, we were talking to some, about something in my abstract algebra class relating to like quadratics. And then I think our professor mentioned something about like, how do we extend this to three dimensions? And I was like, you know, like we've been talking about algebra tiles and I was reading something relating to algebra tiles and had seen a presentation relating to that at the NCTM conference. 
And so I had a conversation with him about like, how do we, like, instead of just these 2D algebra tiles, how do we extend this to three dimensions? Because we have, like, we can see in 3D and we have blocks that we can use to show um, how this would kind of connect and extend to three dimensions. And so he was like, yeah, let's go for it. Like, let's think about how we can do this. And just, um, he had me read a couple, like he had me read something from Principles Actions. And then I think um, the Fostering Algebraic Understandings book and a couple other like articles that related to two dimensions. And then we just kind of played around with the idea and just had like, let's think about this. And then we created a task um, that we implemented with I think it was middle school or high school students. Um, and so we did this task with them, kind of see like, how is how are students thinking about this or like imagining this and exploring this? And then following some of that exploration, we were able to write an MTMS article. And I think actually Jen, that's I think how I met Jen because she was the editor on that article. I think it was the informing practice department at the time for middle yeah. grades, right? Yeah, because I can yep. I can still remember in that article. Um, I think it was probably Google Google SketchUp of the three D pieces to, um, and it was work with um, students in a middle school and building right. those connections. Right? Yeah. So wow, check that so out. It's in the the old um, mathematics teaching in the middle school informing practice department. So you entered in with a question, hey, or a pondering, and then he throws some articles and some reading like and to like add some fuel to that kind of curiosity and then that leads back and forth to like hey here's a task let's implement and not only that not only implement it but then also sh- being able to write it up and share it and disseminate like uh, that's okay that, that's that's pretty good that's pretty good i like that thank you for it's sharing that it's a good one yeah from the you get to from the idea right just a question in class Let's explore it. And then having the mentorship and that collegiality and collaboration to go in the classroom and just try it out from a curiosity, right? Um, it's cool. So um, we wanted you to talk a little bit about uh, your work on ethnomodeling. So what is ethnomodeling? Like I've heard of ethnomathematics, but what's ethnomodeling? So I think, let me take it back a couple of years. Um, so when I was teaching middle school and high school, um, this was in central Florida, I wanted to find ways to connect mathematics to the stories and the histories and the cultures of my students and their families and the community. Um, So as I mentioned earlier, like for many of us, these were not my experiences with school mathematics, but that's where I saw math and like connected to my culture and traditions and family and food and art and architecture, just all of those like wondrous and beautiful things. Um, so knowing the importance of all of that, I did a lot of ethnomathematics types projects with my students, but like so many cultural explorations within math curriculum, I saw that what I was doing was still staying at that surface, like, let's notice and let's wonder about this, um, which is a critical start. And it was important for students to kind of be in that space and engage in that space. But it was not enough to authentically attend to and value my own or my students and our community's diverse cultures and identities. So while thinking about what I wanted to focus on for my dissertation and reading research relating to ethnomathematics and mathematical modeling, I came across the ethnomodeling framework, which was created by Daniel Ore and Milton Rosa, who are two math educators from Brazil. And so they worked with Ubi D'Ambrosio to take his ideas of ethnomathematics and bring in a way to really connect it to deep mathematical content. 
And so as I think was just, um, Dusty was mentioning earlier, it shouldn't just be like, here's this artistic thing that we know has math in it, but how do we show our students and how do we really make those connections between the artistic or the architectural connections and beauty within and then connect it to the math content that our students need to learn. Um, so ethnomodeling is the intersection of cultural anthropology, ethnomathematics and mathematical modeling. And a lot of this work has been done primarily with students in Brazil. So within what I did for my dissertation and the work that I'm continuing to do now, I wanted to bring in this perspective to what we do in the US and then more personally bring it into, the, into my work with pre-service teachers that I think that can really have that long-term impact in our schools and classrooms. And so from what I've done so far, I think it's just been a really great way to de-silo some of the conversations we have in our courses about equity and students' cultures and identities. And then also mathematical content and pedagogy and bring in ways to integrate technology and rethink assessments to value the different ways of thinking and learning and doing mathematics. That's great. I'm wondering for someone who's interested in what you just described in ethno-modeling, what are some entryways? Like, how did you kind of get started? You've talked about your experiences in art and that you may have gone into the art world. Uh, you double majored, right? And you were going to. something right. like that. So what I actually ended up, um, I ended up doing, uh, so at TCNJ, our major, like it, math education was almost like a double major. And so I wasn't allowed to add in a third major to that. So what I ended up doing was minoring in interactive multimedia. Okay. Um, so it was a lot of like graphic design and web design and like it's still brought in like animation. So it's still brought in some of those artistic perspectives. Okay. Cool. So how, like if, if I were interested in getting into ethno modeling, right? So, and I, a lot of our listeners might be very interested in getting into ethno modeling. How would they enter into ethno modeling and that exploration? What are some things that you think might be helpful? So I think um, what I can do is potentially like just share an example and then I'll get into like maybe suggestions for how I've found or integrated some of this beyond like my dissertation. Okay. Um, so my dissertation focused on secondary geometry content. And so what I did for that was like specifically looking at traditional geometry problems in textbooks. I think we talk a lot about like, here's the shape and I'll use like, these sets of transformations. Um, but through an ethnomodeling approach, we can make that more like same task, more mathematically relevant and more authentic and culturally relevant for our students. So one example that I used was I gave students a Talavera tile, which is a traditional Mexican tile. And they needed to use geometric transformation tools in GeoGebra to tile a wall. And so as they were engaging in these doing these geometric transformations and really thinking about these properties um, to design their wall. They were also having conversations and researching about the symbolism, the cultural traditions and artifacts to create something that was culturally appropriate and aesthetically pleasing. Um, so really bringing in that like art piece and that architecture piece and then also that mathematical content. And then one of the key ideas that I've really enjoyed about ethno modeling is bringing in the academic mathematics that students engage in or that mathematical modeling cycle back to the cultural and historical connections of the people who engage in these practices. So after the pre-service teachers like worked on this task and they created their designs, 
they watched a video that shared how Talavera towels were created. And in the video, women were the ones that were engaging in this practice. And so I think so often we talk about like, how do we invite more girls into STEM fields or how do we make sure that they feel empowered and engaged? Um, and so just seeing them use, like seeing the women in these videos using these mathematical tools to create hundreds of Talavera tiles, right? It really kind of positioned women as capable. And this is a practice, I mean, so many women around the world engage in these cultural and familial practices that are so mathematical even if we don't call them or name them as being math. Um, so I think it was just empowering for the students to watch that. And then a few of the students also later shared how it was the first time that they were able to see themselves in the math. Mm-hmm. And these are third and fourth year pre-service teachers who were, mm-hmm. you know, cause they were like, we were able to see the tiles were familiar to what we grew up with um, mm-hmm. or like what we grew up seeing in like Latin American countries. And so I think it was just really great to, think about ways that we can delve into those cultural components, but also engage in that rich and meaningful mathematical content connections. And then to kind of extend to what you were sharing about, like maybe suggestions for those who might want to integrate some of this. So I think um, one of the things that I've, I mean, I found Twitter to be phenomenal and just as a source of like getting some of these ideas. So I think a couple months ago, I saw a world uh, bread map and it was just like, okay, like in different parts of the world, like what is the bread known as or what breads do they eat? Or like, what is a traditional bread for them? So with what I'm do- currently I'm teaching an elementary pre-service teacher course, and we were talking about fractions and ratios and proportions. So I just brought in that, well, bread world map and I was like, okay, let's talk about our own like family traditions and recipes. And then how do we connect that to what people are doing and eating and like these food and traditions around the world? So I think just being open to having ideas come from non-traditional curriculum sources mm-hmm. is yes, my biggest suggestion. I think that's where I was first exposed. I think when you uh, first defended, I think Farshid was pu- putting out some some tweets about some of the work that you're doing with your uh, dissertation. And and so just for um, the listeners, we're grabbing some of the I'm been grabbing some of these links uh, to like the the 3D um, modeling with the algebra tiles that that article uh, found a link to that, and and also their article on. Um, ethnomodeling from investigations in mathematics learning. So just grab a couple of links there too. So people have other sources to go uh, grab it, but I don't know. I, I'm, I, I think I've been pondering like, okay, what, what, what can, what am I thinking about that? That is ethnomodeling and how do I fit into that? Defi- what are the things that I do either that fit in that definition or trying to, uh, you know, manipulate what I'm doing to try to fit into like that. Hey, this, this is ethnomodeling. So that's, that's where my mind is is going. So. Yeah. And I think the other part that I'm hearing you say city is that it's, it's not just, you know, here are some interesting patterns like the Talavera tiles, Here's here's what they look like, and now tile the wall or uh, Scottish tartan patterns or something like that for traditional plaids. You know, these are maybe we can do something with that. But it's it's more than just look at this or do this math activity. But you're actually students are engaged in 
examining the history, examining the culture, and and that's a that's a way for some of them to see themselves in the um, in the mathematics. I'm I'm wondering mm-hmm. because our students are diverse. Um, I, I guess the goal would be to, to for all of them to see themselves somehow see the mathematics relevant to their own cultural experiences. Do you, uh, with what you've done, do you find that this these activities speak to students not necessarily from that culture, but still that that activity might um, might work with those students? What, what what have been your experiences with that? Yeah. So a lot of. Um, when I did my dissertation or the tasks uh, within my dissertation, so I did pick a couple different tasks from like different cultures and different mm-hmm. parts of the world. But also I think it's important that our students, even if they can't relate to it, they brought in their perspective of the world. Mm-hmm. So I think especially as our pre-service teachers um, and, I'm, you know, like white middle-class female who we have is like 70% of our teaching force go into classrooms that, are diverse and that have like students from different cultures and backgrounds and identities that might be different from them. I think it's also important for them to see that they need to be able to almost relate to their students and have those opportunities to engage with their students. And I th- that needs to come from us modeling it at the teacher education level. Because mm-hmm. if they don't have those experiences then where they see the importance of how they can broaden their own perspectives then it's hard for them to envision how to do that when they get into their own classrooms. Well, I was thinking too, uh, uh, you know, maybe it's connected to with Dusty's question, but just even thinking like the, the way you're describing the, the tiles and like the, what the patterns maybe and in going into and in, in describing that to um, the students in order so they can, you know, explore the, um, you know, create their own. Right. And so just thinking about that and I was thinking about it, like, well, where do I experience that? It made me think of there's these barn quilts in the Midwest. Like it, mm-hmm. you have your barn and then there's like this, uh, this pattern above usually the barn door where, you know, like there's unique patterns for different barns or different barns. Like, but I really don't know much about it, but so like what, what different pattern. So now it's like that task is leading to curiosity about things that I would see, you know, driving up, home for the holidays right and seeing all these patterns like but wondering like well what is what what are those where do those come from like where what why do they have certain patterns is is there a uniqueness to those patterns is there you know so now like there's some curiosity so it's like it's you know looking you know like what do we say mirrors and in windows right and so like a a window into Mm -hmm. this culture is like leading like well what is this about things that are already in my you know current reality and like but there's, there's gaps in my knowledge there. So it's leading to more curiosity for that. And so I don't know that it, it feels like there's like a snowball sort of situation going on there where, you know, the curiosities lead to curiosity. So that's, that's again, uh, not leading to a question, but an observation. So I, I just I love the thinking that this is generating. No, and I love that. Cause I think, um, I mean, I think that's a great way to, for students to also start examining, like what is mathematical about, like just their daily lives. Cause I think, and beyond like, oh, I'm going to the store and like buying like X amount of things and I need X amount of money for it, right? I think those are all things that they use math for, but also really seeing it within like their own identity and like some of their cultural aspects. In your work with um, pre-service teachers, do you do an ethno modeling project or do they have something like 
in the course that at the end of the course, they have to dive into a particular culture and then do something around ethno modeling and. So I haven't done an ethno modeling or like something that they've had to create per se, um, but we do a lot of these types of activities in like throughout the courses that I'm teaching. So some of them do start to integrate like aspects of it within like the lesson plans that they create or at least just start to think more about like how do I expand instead of like instead of there being no cultural activity right some of them start doing at least some of that notice wonder stage which again like we can go much farther than that but that's as pre-service teachers that's at least a great start for them to start thinking about incorporating some of these ideas into their own teaching but I would love to think about how to I mean now that's kind of getting me thinking about how I might be able to do some of that with my pre-service teachers and in-service teachers. I, I'm teaching a geometry class uh, for pre-service middle school teachers next semester. And I'm thinking, ooh, maybe I want to incorporate some ethno-modeling tasks in in this. Um, we're an HSI, his, uh, Hispanic Serving Institution. So uh, using the Talavera tiles would be a natural uh, connection mm-hmm. uh, for for at least our university part of our university's mission, but um, there's a lot of things I think that would be really interesting to do. So I'll be looking in the show notes for those links, Joel. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and you mentioned that Twitter was a place that you've gone to and and drawn from to engage in the work of ethno modeling. Are there other resources or things that you could point um, our audience to that they're interested in doing more of this work, where they might visit or explore? If you've found some of your favorite sites? So I think a lot of my work, and I do want to start by acknowledging the, that this work does build on the critical work of ethnomathematics and ethnomodeling that um, Ubi D'Ambrosio did, and then also Daniel Ori and Milton Rosa and some of their colleagues are continuing to do. So I think I've drawn a lot of inspiration, at least just from some of the tasks um, and activities that they've written about or that they've presented on. So I definitely recommend looking at some of their work. And then within some of the work that I'm doing uh, with my dissertation committee, so as Joel mentioned, we just had a paper published in Investigations. And then that delves into how ethno-modeling extends some of the current mathematical modeling research in teacher education. And then we're also working on some other manuscripts and upcoming presentations relating to the frameworks and some of the other results from my dissertation. That's, that's wonderful. I know we're looking forward to seeing some of that work and some of the work that we'll be posting in the, the show notes um, for this episode. So question, how do you set boundaries and priorities to get the right things done and still enjoy your life, City? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> so I am <laughs> terrible <laughs> at saying no. So I definitely don't do a great job at this. Uh, but at least now that I'm back in New Jersey and a lot like my family's close by and a lot of my friends that live in a drivable distance. So that's been really nice to see them more frequently and have like just more time to spend with them. And then I also enjoy drawing and painting and photography. So I try to do some of that and make time for some of that, um, like those hobbies as much as I can. But I guess specifically in getting like academic and especially research things done. Um, so I think this was advice that Sarah shared with us during one of our doctoral seminar classes was putting weekly writing and research time on our calendars and then making sure to not schedule anything else at that time. Mm-hmm. So I've, I really started making a habit of that while I was in like the comps and like dissertation phase. 
and have continued to do that. So at least most weeks when I'm able to stick to that, then it's a good way to have that balance and then also have time to enjoy other things. Yeah. Just not scheduling anything else. And you're like, okay, my response is no during these hours. (laughs) At least as much as I can. It doesn't always work every (laughs) week, but at least as much as I'm able to, then I try to stick to that. No, that's pretty good. I mean, like that's, that's a really good tip for folks. I mean that, you know, sometimes it's just like whatever the leftovers are, are what I'm going to use to, you know, do that, that work, uh, that work that, you know, you need to do. Like it it feels like this, uh, you know, we're working on the, some of these projects and things like that. If you didn't do that, that's like a big part of like what you do as a, as a math teacher educator. So it's like, if that's not, that's not, that shouldn't just be left for leftover time. So the fact that you're scheduling and doing that, that's, uh, that's a, it's a great tip. Great tip. Thanks for sharing yeah, that. I think that that's a really good one, right? Cause we think about how our, our, our time for teaching is scheduled, right? We don't schedule anything else during teaching. Um, when we're on committee and doing service work, we don't schedule anything else. Right. But then somehow when we're trying to get our research and writing done. It's like, Oh, I can move this um, meeting here and I can, like you might compromise, right? So if you can just block it out, at least that's a good first step, I think. Yeah. So City, do you have anything else that you'd like to promote and um, talk about with our audience and let them know some upcoming things that are happening? So I guess, I don't know if it's really promoting, but I think as a field, I know we've had these conversations to just authentically connect maths to our students and their experiences and their context. Um, so as I think about extending some of my own work into like other mathematical domains beyond just geometry or beyond just secondary, um, and like also extend it to working with K-12 students, I would love to find collaborators and thought partners um, to continue on this journey. To create that ethno-modeling uh, project to work with uh, teacher candidates, right? That's the, that, that, that was the new idea that we have. Mm-hmm. Maybe, there's a, maybe there's a collaborator <laughs> out there for that. That'd be great. Yep. Okay. Well, City, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure having having you on the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. So thanks again for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe to the podcast. We hope that you're able to take action on something that you just heard and interact with other math teacher educators. Also, did you know that AMTE has another podcast, the Math Teacher Educator Podcast? The MTE podcast accompanies the latest edition of the Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal and has authors discuss the work they've submitted for publication to the journal. Find a link to the MTE podcast in the show notes for this episode.